Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light right here on Giants.com. Lance Meadow, John Schmelk, with you at 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. A happy Monday in East Rutherford, New Jersey, for the New York Football Giants. Their second straight home victory. They defeat the Chicago Bears in overtime, 30 to 27 Lance it probably should have been a little easier than it was but they got there eventually and they come home with a win in a game against a team that was in first place had only three losses before the day began and an overall high quality victory absolutely John I, I think that obviously when you have a 10 point lead you didn't think necessarily you're going to go to overtime under the circumstances but what Pat Shermer said in his postgame press conference I think summed it up the resiliency of the team and the team's ability to bounce back, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. And Janoris Jenkins knocking the ball away on that final fourth down play after the Bears really had their way with the Giants' defense in the fourth quarter, John. Moving the ball up and down the field like it was nothing and getting themselves in position to get the field goal quickly, recover the onside kick, and then get the touchdown. It was nice to see the defensive unit bounce back, I think, in overtime to make those necessary plays. You know, this was a Bears defense that was very stingy in stopping the run. And the Giants, you know, the numbers in terms of yardage per carry don't jump off the page. But oh, they're good enough. But they were at least able to consistently run the ball in the second half. So that was, I think, a big positive from an offensive standpoint. And the takeaways, of course. It's not a surprise. We've said this every single week. The Giants are 4-1 and one this season when they win turnover differential. Goes hand-in-hand hand because... This team has issues, which have been well-documented over the course of the season, but when they take away the ball and they change field position and they score touchdowns, John, which they did again, it covers up and protects them from having some of those other issues exposed. Lance, in every game where they've been plus two or better, they've won. It's that simple. The one game they lost, I believe they were plus one in, if that's correct. That was the Atlanta game. Correct? correct. Yeah. So when they're plus two or better, they're 4-0. Yeah. It's, a, it's, simple it's a simple formula, and heading into this game, we thought, and everyone else did, logically, that it would be the opposite. The Bears were the best team in the league in terms of taking the ball away, 29 takeaways. They were tied for first in turnover differential at plus 14 over the course of the year, and you figured they would win the takeaway battle, and that's why the Giants were going to lose the game. But the Giants won the takeaway battle, and that's why they won the football game. Huge. And as many big plays as there were in the second half, and we'll talk about that, and I wrote about this in Cover 3. You'll see up on Giants.com later on today. This game was won in the first half. It was won in the first half. There were three plays, Lance, in this first half that made the difference in the game that swung the game 17 points. The first was the Al Gogoltree interception return for a touchdown. That turned into seven points, where the Giants' offense didn't have to earn that at all. It was all Ogletree. Okay? The second one, which was a prelude to what would come later in the fourth quarter, Tariq Cohen burns Landon Collins on a seam route out of the backfield, has an easy touchdown. I looked at the All-22. No one else was getting there. That's a score. Al Gogletree comes over, makes an unbelievable one-handed interception, takes seven points off the board. That's a 14-point swing right there, okay? Then, on what Pat Shermer termed a give-up play at the end of the first half on a third and 23, which if I'm the, 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 the Giants actually tried to run the timeout in the half because it was third and 23. They're in their own territory. The Bears called the timeout. It's the only reason the Giants actually ran a play on third down. Barkley runs for 22, sets up a fourth and one. I think the Bears, and I thought so too, frankly, thought the Giants would throw a Hail Mary and said they complete a nine-yard pass. Rosas, it's a 56-yard kick. So those three plays, Lance, two interceptions by Ogletree, and then a Barkley 22-yard run and a give-up play swung the game 17 points. It could have easily been 21-0 at the start of the second half. Now, obviously, Curtis Riley makes that interception, then it turns into 14-0 instead of 21-0 because the Bears turn that... Um, possession that could have stopped on that Riley drop pick uh, into a score. Even so, you're still looking at a two or three score game if not for those three big plays. And then the second half is completely different. The Giants can't run the ball 22 times in the second half if they're down 21 nothing. Heck, they might not even be able to do it if they're down 14 nothing. That trick play might not work if it's a two-score game because the Bears are protecting against the pass. Instead, it's only 14-10, to 10, so they have to worry about the run. So that trick play with Beckham the Shepherd works. So those plays in the first half, and that's why people say, oh, you know, you got to play well when the game's on the line and, and when the plays are big. Every play is big. They add up. They add up. And if it wasn't for those big plays in the first half, the second half could never have gone the way it went. No, I think it's a great point, especially in terms of how game flow played out and strategy. And then if you go back and you look at the difference between the second half and the Eagles game, 
and the second half in the Bears game, John, look at all the plays that they ran too in the second half. Notice that. There were many more opportunities, and that's why Saquon Barkley, by the way, had more touches. They had, in the second half, they put together a 13-play, 60-yard drive, which to me was by far one of their most impressive offensive possessions because they, first of all, converted third downs, which was not necessarily pretty over the course of the game. They were 6 of 17, but they converted a third and four. They converted a third and five. Now, they got the incomplete pass on third and goal on the one, but then they came back and went for it on fourth and goal. That's when Eli threw what was like a fadeaway jump shot pass, and Odell caught it. But that, those numbers, by, by the way. far the most impressive drive. Third and four and third and five. Manageable Why? Downs. They were able to run the football, and that, to me, was the big difference. Like, this was a mirror image of the game against the Eagles, where the offense worked the way it was supposed to in the first half. They got away from what worked in the second half, and everything fell apart. Well, in the Bears game, in the first half, I thought their run-pass ratio was poor. I thought they should have ran the ball more in the first half. It was 19 Eli dropbacks to, I believe, 7 Saquon Barkley runs. Yeah, Eli got sacked twice, so 19 dropbacks for 7 runs. That's not the... Balance you want if you're the Giants. And it's not like Barkley was getting stopped for losses either. Now, he wasn't running for a ton of yards, but he was getting three yards a carry. And third and four against his Bears defense is fine. Oh, you'll take that in a heartbeat. And he ran for seven for 43 in the first half. But I'm going to take that 22-yard run off the board because, like I said, that was a give-up play. It wasn't really in the flow of the game. So he was really only six for 21 in that first half. Now, three and a half yards per carry, whoop de do. Well, against the Bears defense that was second best in the league, that's pretty good. And there weren't negative plays mixed in there. It was consistently, you know, two yards, three yards, and, and four yards. And, and that's fine. That's okay. And, and I didn't like the way they kind of got away from that. And they were in shotgun a lot more in the first half than they were the second half. In the second half, they were under center a lot more. There was a lot more two tight ends. There was a lot more fullback stuff in half number two than there was half number one. They got back to playing Lance the way they had to play. If you look at this first half summary, the offense was abysmal which is why those big plays were so important. Let me take you through the drives in the first half. I'm not going to go through every play, but in the first half, the Giants had seven possessions, okay? In those seven possessions, the Giants punted five times, were picked off once, and had the late field goal. And they They went three and out four times. And four three and outs. Offense wasn't doing much of anything. Nothing, but those plays saved them. And then in the second half, they had a... Four-play, 75-yard drive, which was the the um, trick play. The and that 13, was the opening possession. Right, 13 for 52, which is the one you referenced. That turned yep. into the touchdown on the throw to Beckham. And then the uh, drive that I think gets overlooked because it didn't end in a score, the Giants got the ball back with 9.25 to play in the game. They held the ball for seven minutes and went 53 yards. Now, Eli takes a sack on third down, which knocked them out of field goal range, which is Pat Shermer said after the game is a bad play. I don't mind trying to pass the ball there and getting the first down and not settling for the field goal from 47 yards, but you can't take a sack there. you got to stay in field goal range. You have to, okay? Uh, but that was another very good drive. They used play action a lot. They threw to the tight ends. A lot of big personnel, and they ran play action out of that, which is kind of what's been working during this winning streak. And those three drives in the second half really made the difference because the other three drives were four were only three plays and a punt and four plays and a field goal. And that four-play drive, by the way, yielded negative six yards. Correct. They only punted that twice. That was after the fumble. They only punted twice in the second half. That's pretty darn good against a good defense in the Bears. Well, that's why I went back to the difference between the Eagles and the Bears' second halves. I understand you said it's a reverse of the Philly game, but the at-bats were there. The opportunities were there, John. And well, it's because they were able to stay on the field. Correct. Right. Well, But that yeah. was what they couldn't do in the Philadelphia correct. game. So, you know, when everybody starts looking at, well, why did the touches go down? Because they had negative plays and negative runs. If you look through some of the drives we just talked about, yeah, there were some penalties in the second half. I mean, I'm looking at there was a penny holding call. So I'm not saying it was perfectly clean for football, but there were a lot less negative plays, John, in the second half against the Bears than there were against the Eagles, which allowed them to face manageable third downs so that it was suitable for their offense to stay on the field. That, to me, was a huge difference. And, you know, you mentioned the game-changing plays with respect to the defense and Barkley's play, but I don't think you could talk about the game without at least acknowledging the job Aldrich Rosas did oh, to yeah. kick the 57-yard sure. field goal, which is, by the way, the new longest field goal make in franchise history. And then a play that didn't turn out to be a huge difference maker, but 
Russell Shepard to Antonio Hamilton to Zach Diossi to save the ball from going into the end zone to get a touchback and down it at the two. You know, those are the types of plays that have not necessarily been consistently showcased over the last few years. And I think special teams has started to be a bright spot for the Giants. I know they didn't recover the onside kick, and I get people are going to at least focus on that, but big picture <laughs> perspective. The trend I see is I they're getting production out of special teams, John, and we have not talked about that over the last few seasons. Forget just this season. Kick return game's been good. Yeah. Uh, they had the punt down on the one-yard line, which happened right before the Taylor-Gabriel fumble, which turned into a Giants field goalie, which gave him a 10-point lead, which we thought had sealed the game with 149 to play. Um, overall, the defense, Lance, let's talk about that a little bit. They held the Bears only 2 of 15 on third down, which is an excellent number. Yeah. Um, but... At the end of the game, again, they gave up some big plays when they could least afford it. Uh, Tariq Cohen had quite the day. Landon Collins had some issues covering him out of the backfield. And the Bears got those two scores late. And then aided by some poor center quarterback snap, snapping and catching, yeah. uh, the Giants got the stop in overtime. Um, but the defense, again, uh, it was kind of up and down early. They played well. Uh, you know, Obviously, they had some issues later when the, when the Bears uh, committed to throw on the football. But 376 yards given up, that's a lot. Giving up 27 points, that's a lot. But they did enough to win the game in overtime. Well, and then also the inability to stop the run consistently, John. And that seems to be something that's rearing its ugly head each and every week. We talk about that nonstop. Jordan Howard, 16 carries, 76 yards. He had a big 25-yard run. Tariq Cohen, to your point, did really all his damage as a receiver. But to them, the Bears are looking at that as an extension to the run game. And... Like I said, takeaways, which are extremely fluky and unpredictable, have done wonders for this Giants defense. It is no coincidence that in the last four games, three of them, they won turnover differential. All three of those games, they won. And all three of those games, John, you could argue came down to the wire, where it's a play here, a play there. The Niners game came down to the wire. Bucks, they built a big lead, but then Tampa Bay had an opportunity. Jameis Winston then threw the interception, and now here we're talking about the Bears have an opportunity in overtime, and Janoris Jenkins knocks it away, but the defense scored points and had three takeaways. It has covered up the issues that you just alluded to and that I just pointed out with respect to the inability to stop the run. Yeah. and It's been a consistent trend here. Absolutely, and it's funny. The first couple of drives, they actually did a pretty good job against the run. I'll go and start the game for one. Um, later on on the next drive, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Howard went for four. Howard's first run of the game was negative two. So they started against the run, I think, fairly well. Then it got worse as the game has gone along, which is kind of what we've seen over the course of the year. Um, but again, I think the defense is a work in progress. Joris Jenkins, I thought, played a nice game. In the first half, I thought Dalvin Tomlinson played a nice game. Pat Shermer spoke today. He said he thought Olivier Vernon played his best game of the year. Um, and look, the defense made enough plays, and those takeaways really turned out to be everything. B.W. Webb had the strip. Late, we mentioned the two Ogletree interceptions. Um, the onside kick was a problem. Um, it was just poorly executed, as Pat Shermer said today. Uh, there was a missed block up front, and Odell trying to slap the ball too far away from the sideline, doesn't try to get on top of it. That's a problem. Um, and then you had the big plays in overtime against the defense. So um, some good, some bad. Um, there are some things we could talk about that you want to discuss, of course, at 201 one other thing that I wanted to mention sure. with respect to the offense, and Russell Shepard spoke about this after the game. In oh, the, the locker trick room. play. We yeah, the about trick that play. Uh, certainly wanted to bring that up. And I, I went back, and after listening to what Russell Shepard had to say, John, I went back and I looked at the play because I think what's very interesting is he was not the intended target on the play. He was actually supposed to block. And if you go back for our listening audience and our viewing audience, you should go back and look at the instant replay that Fox had on the clip that they put up on social media because you can't really tell on the actual play at full speed, John, but he's on the left side of the field. He's in the left slot, and he engages Khalil Mack for a very split second. Briefly. Very brief. And then goes right down the middle of the field, heads off to the right, and Odell Beckham had enough time, and Shepard basically was wide open. He could have backpedaled into the end zone, essentially. He was that open. And I think he did, actually. He, he basically <laughs> did, because the, by the time the defender came over, Shepard yeah. was about a step away from getting into the end zone. But those are the types of plays that don't necessarily show up in the box score. And it's important to emphasize, it's the cliche phrase about going above the X's and O's. It's ad-libbing 
which would be a phrase that we use sometimes in this industry, going off script, essentially. Shepard saw the defense. He made the adjustment. It wasn't necessarily what the call was for. It wasn't what the play was for. He made the adjustment, and as a result, they were able to capitalize on that. Yeah, and the player who was supposed to block went after the running back, which is why he didn't have to block him from attacking Beckham on the end of the round, and then he just ran the route. I talked to him in the locker room today. That's a Sterling Shepard play. But he was out at that point with a rib injury. Yep. And by the way, give Sterling Shepard credit for battling through that rib injury. He was in a lot of pain the whole game. And he had never run that before in practice. So that was the first time he ever Which ran the remarkable. play. And he goes down the field and he makes the catch. We should also give some credit to the offensive line, uh, who yep. I thought did a really good job. And I think, you know, people only talk about pass protection. I think, to me, the biggest jump, Lance, in this offensive line's play since the bye week has been in the running game. And I think they're so much better blocking in the running game, which is why Saquon Barkley's been able to run more decisively and give him credit too because he has changed his running style a little bit. He's running a lot more like an Emmitt Smith than he is like a Barry Sanders. Spare that one play at the end of the first half when he had to be Barry Sanders and it worked out. Um, but they've played a lot better. Uh, they have getting a lot more space in the running game. You're not having those negative plays in the running game. And while I think the design of the offense helps them in pass protection, when they've been asked to block on straight block dropbacks, They've done a much better job on those two. So I think you really have to tip your cap to the job they've done um, over the course of the last few weeks. And they, the Giants would not have won three of the last four if the offensive line's play hadn't improved. Well, and to your point, look at early in the season, John. Against the Jaguars, seven runs for no gain or negative yards. Five against the Cowboys of that kind. Six against the Texans. So first three weeks of the season, they had 18 runs for nothing or negative yardage. And then on the flip side, you turn now to some of these games after the bye. Niners game four. Bucks game four, two against the Eagles, went a little bit up against the Bears six, but it wasn't necessarily a killer because they had four runs for 10 yards or more, including the 22-yard run. So they were able to get some of those explosive runs on the ground. And when you do that, you can afford to have a run or two that goes the opposite way. And they were not getting those big explosive runs consistently in the first half of the season. And that's why the negative runs really jumped off the page. They did. And give them a lot of credit for that. They did an excellent job. Um, and Eli Manning, by the way, uh, and you never want to give a guy credit for just throwing one interception because you don't want any interceptions, but he started this game struggling. Uh, he had a bad first half. Uh, guys weren't getting open. He did miss a couple open wide receivers. I thought he was locked on the Beckham a little bit too much. Just 7 of 17 for 73 yards in that first half. No touchdowns at a pick. Um, there were two other passes that could have been intercepted that that weren't, and he really struggled. I mean, that that is it was a rough two quarters of football. It looked like the Bears are ready for what the Giants wanted to do, but they settled down. Second half against this Bears defense, Eli Manning was 12 of 16 uh, for about 100 yards. And those numbers don't jump off the page, but he protected the football. He didn't turn it over. The Giants moved the football thanks to Saquon Barkley, who ran a 24 for 125 in the game. And in the second half, he ran for almost 80 yards. So give Manning credit for staying in the game, playing well in that second half, and keeping the Giants in the game and not making that big mistake that the Bears are so good at getting to help the Giants win the football game. Yeah, I think the team overall, I would take it even a step further, John. Clearly, the quarterback is the most important factor in protecting the football, but, I mean, let's put things in perspective here. This Bears team had 29 takeaways entering the game. Three a game. It's number one in the NFL. To only have one against this team... For a team that has had its ups and downs this season, I mean, that is a remarkable accomplishment because they did not give the Bears gifts. You know, most of the points that the Bears got yesterday, let's face it, they had to put together seven, eight-play drives. They had to go 60-some-odd yards down the field. If you go back to that late touchdown that ended with the trick play, I mean, it wasn't as if the Giants gave the Bears great, tremendous field position. I know that they had to get the uh, onside kick, but they still had to move the football a decent amount of yardage to get in position for that. So, and they were given a benefit of a, I think, dodgy pass interference penalty in the end zone. The high pass where B.W. Webb was called for the pass interference. That's fair. So with all that being said, you know, they had to earn that final touchdown and like I said the Giants protecting the football was huge in this game because they took the ball away and they didn't give it back and therefore they got a plus two edge and this is the first time by the way the Bears lost turnover differential battle the entire season they had been even four times and they won all of their other seven games first time this season they were in the negative in turnover differential we want to remind you that big blue kickoff live is presented by Coors Light download the Coors Light rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season let's get to the calls at 201 939 4513. Jimmy up in Rose Hill. He's calling in from the Bronx. What's up, Jimmy? Hey, guys. How are you? What's up, buddy? Doing all right, Jimmy. 
Well, uh, if there's any Giant fan out there that isn't, uh, you know, off the charts, <clears throat> excuse me, with his win yesterday, is uh, not a Giant fan. I've been, as I've told you guys often, went to my first game in 59. <clears throat> we had season tickets in 62. Uh, this was a hell of a game. Anyway, um, you guys, once again, did a great job. You took, <laughs> you probably touched on all my points. That's okay. Uh, Go ahead. But anyway, as I was going through the game, I got this list of things, you know, that as I'm sitting there watching, I'm just writing down all these notes and all these things on my notes you guys have covered. So I want to flip to something that um, Sharma said in his press conference about about culture. Sure. And, uh, and changing it. And I think Giant fans can feel pretty confident that I think that's, that's what's being built here. And we've seen... Pick up, you know, spots of it in the whole second half of the season. These guys aren't done yet. They're building a roster. As I'm watching that game yesterday, you know, I'm saying, you know what? You know, yeah, someone talked earlier about Eli. Eli's got a good game going. But you know what? Gettleman's not going to reach for a quarterback in the dra- uh, He's not going to reach for a quarterback in the draft. We c- Imagine if we had a pass rusher in that game yesterday. Half of all this stuff that we're talking about, you know, in terms of a wild finish, Probably wouldn't happen. And I know they put some nice pressure on him. Yeah, they had five sacks times in those game, guys Jimmy. had um, when uh, Daniels a lot of the had, coverage think, a little bit too much time to throw. But, but that, there was nothing negative about yesterday at all. But I think what, what captured it for me as a long, long-time Giant fan was hearing Sherman talking about changing, <clears throat> changing the culture, toughness, resiliency. If you know anything at all about a football team, you can't begin to get better until you have players that encompass that um, that attribute. Yeah, that Jimmy. You about. And here's so the that's thing: what it does, and, and, and more does, positive and it, than absolutely anything at all. Yeah, and it doesn't happen overnight either. That's not something a coach no, can do in, in the summer and flip a switch and say, "All right, now we're going to be tough." No, no. You have to weed out the guys that aren't going to work. You have to make sure you know you deliver that message every week, every week, every week until it becomes ingrained in them. And once it does. That's when the culture is changing. I, I talked to Russell Shepard today in the locker room, and in the same interview you see on Giants.com probably tomorrow where he talked about the, the trick play, he also talked about how winning games like this can reestablish the culture, learning how to win. Because every group of players has to win a different way. No one wins the same way as somebody else. So it takes some time to figure out how to win and, and to, 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 to persevere and get through the bad stuff and stick with it. And I think... You're seeing this team start to do those types of things now, which is why when fans say, oh, we don't want to win, we don't care. You know, I think for a football team, it's different. This isn't the NBA, all right? This is the NFL where a lot of those intangible things do matter. So I think it is important, and I think they will try to win games the rest of the way. Yeah, and John, I mean, just to, you know, just again, to follow up on that point, when you look at, when you take the, that, that 11 and 5 playoff season out of it, the Giants over the last five or six years, you know, Oh, they've been and terrible. Been very goddamn yeah. good, and 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 so you know they've got to they've got to rebuild. I've got guys like Thomas Shepard. These are the types of guys. Ogletree. I know he's had his ups and downs, but these are the types of guys that when the when the uh, the giant team is at the stage of its rebuilding that it is, you gain nothing by losing these games. Nothing at all. No, draft position. <clears throat> well, Jimmy, anyway, you, you also have to. Excuse me, I'm I think the, the, the other thing you got to understand, about Jimmy. One Jimmy, the, 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 well, well, before you do that, the, the other thing you have uh, to understand is that when you look at the makeup of this roster, there's a young roster. So when, when people talk about how, well, these guys are just going to go out and go through the motions and lose games, nobody on this roster, for the most part, even a guy like Russell Shepard, who's been on a variety of teams, can say, I'm definitely going to come back next season. I have a roster spot reserved. So when you have a absolutely. roster made up of that... I think it's very easy for these go guys to go out. They don't care about the record. They're going to go out. They're going to execute because they know their jobs are on the line. So that's why I really ne- never really thought that was a concern for this roster. If you have a bunch of veterans who've been in the league for you know 15 years, and yeah, you could say maybe they're going to check out the last five games. This is a relatively young roster for the most part. And that's why it's and that's why is I think I either you guys mentioned it or uh, Bob Papa mentioned it last night. There's only 16 guys, 17 guys that are on this that were on this roster last year. 16. So these all these fans that talk about how this thing has to be blown up, and and there's nothing to be gained by winning these games. 
Gettleman, Schumer, this regime, they, they have blown it up, and there's every reason to believe that, that there'll be some different guys next year. But what they're finding out now by winning is, you know, maybe we got some of these guys already on the, on the team. I thought B.J. Hill, um, that's the guy I want to talk about, B.J. Hill. I mean, he really jumped out at me. He's a rookie. He's had, he, too, has had his ups and downs. But I thought he just flashed yesterday. And from um, that technique, that, that free technique to be doing that, I, th- I think that's a – his development, I think, is a real positive. And I'd like to hear what you guys think about his season and also how he played yesterday. Great. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the call. Thanks um, so look, I, he had three sacks yesterday. You can't, you can't get upset about that. Um, I think a lot of them were the coverage variety. The other one, the guy just decided not to block him, and he ran straight in Hey, sometimes you got to take those plays. And you take them. Um, look, I think B.J. Hill is a good player. Uh, he's solid. He's a professional. He looks like an NFL player. Uh, he's a good kid. He's going to work hard. Um, there's still things for him to work on to be a more consistent pass rusher to get penetration. But Lance, for a third-round pick, for him to start and be as solid as he's been, uh, you can't complain about that. He's no, been great. I, I agree with you. I, I mean, he's shown flashes before in the first half of the season. You know, a play here or there, a sack here or there. Yesterday seemed to be the game where you saw a little bit more consistency, and to your point, John, he took advantage of his opportunities, and that's a big part of football. Lorenzo Carter, I think, is in the same boat. He was inactive yesterday, but he's also he was shown injured, flashes. By the way. Yeah, yeah, he was injured. He was he was hurt. That's yeah. why mm-hmm. he was scrapped. He has shown flashes, and you know you want to also see him now put together games, assuming he gets back to full health, where you get two sacks. You get a number of key stops in terms of stopping the run because the one thing I will say is the Niners game was somewhat of a turning point, talking about the development of some of these young defensive linemen, John. That was the game where they said, Lorenzo, we're going to put you out in coverage and we're going to expect you to make plays. And to his credit, he made plays. He was really outstanding when they were bringing the running back out of the backfield and Carter was lined up. So those are things that you want to see. They're encouraging to show that the coaching staff is developing these plays and they have confidence that they can put them in those positions. But like any young player, flash here or there is great. In order to be reliable in this league, you can't just be a flash guy. You've got to be a guy that can stack together a group of games. And I think both of them are trending in the right direction, which is all you can ask for for a pair of third-round picks to do in year number one. He's a starter. He's a, I'm, he's a starter in the NFL. How good of a starter he'll be, we'll see. But he's certainly a starting caliber player in the NFL. And if you get that in the third round, you can't complain. Well, the, and the consistency is going to determine, John, what sure. type of a starter he's going to be down the road. 201-939-4513. Billy in Middletown, New Jersey. He's up next. Hey, Billy. Hey, John. Hey, Lance. How you guys doing? What's up, doing pal? Well, Billy? What do you got for us? Hey, John, you touched on it a little bit. Uh, offensive line blocking for Saquon. Just wow. I mean, just wow. It was great. Yeah, and it started slow too, Billy. They're only getting two, three yards of pop in the first half, but that's fine. The second half, that's you keep you at need. it, and and you know that's what, you, and, and you start getting four, five, six in the second half, and that's why they were able to come back in this game and win. And it's not just that. The fact that Eli isn't in a hospital today from what Khalil Mack was supposed to do to him, I mean, those guys all get a game ball for that too. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just Khalil Mack, by the way. I mean, think about some of the other personnel that they have. Akeem Hicks. Great player. I mean, did you feel Akeem Hicks was a disruptive force yesterday? He did more damage as a running back on the goal line than he did necessarily on the defensive line to wreck the game. And, you know, Lorenzo Floyd is another guy. Leonard Floyd, excuse me, as I'm combining a giant and a bear together. That's very creative <laughs> on my part. Leonard Floyd's another disruptive player. You didn't really hear about him. You didn't see him do much. So there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of talent on that front. And I thought... The fact that they contained them, kept them quiet, does, to your point, speak volumes of the Giants' offensive line. Hey, what do you think they're saying in Chicago today? You think, uh, I know if I was in Chicago and I was a Bears fan, I'd be like, you guys looked past the Giants, didn't you? I don't know about that. You know, I listened to Matt Nagy's press conference. I listened to Chase Daniel, and Nagy was actually asked that very question because I think it's easy to turn to you got a 3-8 and team against an 8-3 and team. I just think the Giants deserve credit for executing on things that perhaps they haven't done necessarily consistently throughout the course of the first half of the season. And listen, if you're the Bears, too, on the flip side here, let's not dismiss the fact they were down by 10 with very little time left. They fought their way back. And, you know, things go right, things go wrong in overtime. They're maybe a field goal away from perhaps walking away with the victory after all that went wrong. So, I mean, the fact that Chicago fought back in that game, I I think they deserve credit, if anything, coming out of that contest. Uh, 
Weather. You know, to me, that's why we. That's why they had so many fumbles. That ball was pretty slick yesterday. It didn't Could rain, be. but it was just enough to make you miserable. No, absolutely. And look, I think and, and appreciate the call. I think when you go into the game, you would think conditions like that would hurt the Giants because they have more like the big play guys and you know control the football. Uh, the Bears are so good at going after the football. Would that hurt in the turnover category? But I agree. I think the Bears with their fumbles had trouble holding on to it with the snaps late. Uh, you had the big Taylor Gabriel fumble. So yeah, I agree. I think I think that did play somewhat of a role here. And the Bears did lose the ball a few times. They happened to recover it themselves uh, to save them from even more turnovers in the game. Two other guys I want to bring up that I thought played real yep. well was Red Ellison and Scott Simonson. Ellison had to come out of the game a little bit with an injury, went right back in. But Simonson, I thought, did a good job blocking. So did Red Ellison in the run game. Simonson had a nice pancake block on Cleo Mack on a run which is uh, something Carl Banks will break down in strategy. That'll be up on Giants.com later in the day. And I think those two guys with Evan Ingram out, you know, not going to be flashy as wide receivers and, and go out there and catch a billion balls and, you know, run past people. But for what they've been asked to do, I think they've done a pretty darn good job. Especially with Evan Ingram out. You know, you want some production from that position and uh, what Scott Simonson and Red Ellison did. And Ellison, remember, did that against the Eagles, too. You know, he was productive, John. This is now two straight weeks where he's made some plays. He's gotten some yak yardage, which is encouraging as well. The point that the last caller, Billy, brought up with respect to the weather, I think it impacted, and you alluded to this earlier, John, the Bears much more so than it impacted the Giants because of that final drive in overtime where Cody Whitehair, their center, just did not seem to be on the same page with Chase Daniel. And maybe that is a reflection of, and this is, by the way, I'm going to wrap this around to what Pat Shermer's brought up, why Alex Tanney was mainly the backup earlier in the season because you want to have a backup quarterback that could step in with very few reps and be able to run the offense. And Chase Daniel fits that criteria. But the negative is when you are not taking snaps and you're not on the same page with the center and you got weather issues, this is where you run into problems. And I think the Bears saw that at least in overtime because, you know, there were times where Daniel had to run, jump on the football, and they could have got maybe two or three yards moving forward as opposed to going five yards backwards. And that clearly changes down in distance when you get to third down situations. 201-939-4513. Let's go to line two, Dave. Atticus in the Poconos. He's up next. What's up, Atticus? Hey, guys. How you doing today? Doing great. What's up? All right. So I was at that game yesterday, and uh, I tell you, the way it started off, it was everything that you thought the Bears would bring to us. It was punt, 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 interception, punt, punt, it was really rough to sit through, especially while you're getting wet in the stands. But <laughs> the Giants did enough. And let me tell you, the offensive line, you guys touched on it. They did a great job of keeping Eli Manning upright for the most part. I mean, they got three sacks on them, but our guys got five sacks on their quarterback. So we beat that battle in that regard, which was pretty nice to see. Um, but I tell you, man, you know, we won that game, and I'm sitting here and I'm saying to myself, like, who are we, right? Who, who is the New York football Giants? What is their identity? Pat Shermer in the postgame um, um, speech to the players in the locker room, he talked about, and I love what the other guy brought up, um, who, who called a couple of callers ago, talking about the culture. And I was, I was wondering, what are we trying to do? Where are we trying to go? Um, who, what is our identity? What do other teams see when they look at the Giants? And I think that Pat Shermer really gave us a peek into the window of what they're looking for. They're looking for a culture that they're trying to develop this year, not necessarily looking towards the draft and another quarterback. I honestly don't think that they're too thrilled about anybody other than Bosa coming out, but because we desperately need a pass rush. Well, no, no, but, but, no, no, Atticus, real quick. There are a slew of really good pass rushers that are be coming out in this draft. It's not just Nick Bosa. And they don't even know where they're yeah, going to pick yet, correct. so I don't that's know how correct. they could be high on this. I agree. Guy. Yeah. I, I agree. I wasn't trying to, to minimize any of the other um, um, guys that are going to be coming out, but he's the big name that's out there. That's why I brought him up. No, I, I got you. But I, I just really don't think that we're looking towards – replacing uh, or finding Eli's replacement next year. I mean, they've taken a look at Herbert, who hasn't even declared. Will Greer, from what I'm hearing, won't even transition well to the NFL. He's putting up great numbers. I don't know. He might. Two was the biggest hot prospect, but he's another year away. I think that we're, they're looking to build the line, develop the culture. I'm talking line on both sides of the ball, maybe pick up some help in the secondary next year, 
and stick with Eli because, listen, you know, Eli's got his problems just like any other player in the National Football League. You're going to go up against National Football League talent. Yesterday was was by far, in my opinion, his worst game of the year. But look who he was playing against, yeah, the number one rated defense in the league. And he was still able to muster up enough points uh, with the help of Saquon Barkley, of course, and, right. and some 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 gratuitous passes by Chase Daniel <laughs> to uh, allow us to score on defense. But we did enough to win a game against the number one defense in the league. Not to mention Saquon put up over 100 yards rushing, so – I think we're looking for two years down the road as opposed to next year, which is what you hear a lot of the chatter and people talk well, about. Well, so, yeah, Atticus, real quick, here's how I look at it. Look, Eli's uh-huh. gonna be, he's going to be 38 next year. He's on the last year of his contract, right? So uh-huh. I think you're always on the lookout for who could be the next guy. But uh-huh. since they control his rights for one more year, you don't have that we have to get one this offseason type of attitude because you do have him for one more year if you want to have him here. So – um, they have their eye, they have their eyes open. They'll keep their eyes open. They will try to find that next guy, but it doesn't have to be this off season if they don't find the right piece that fits the way they want it to. Agree, hundred percent. And I don't think they're looking. I don't think they have seen anything to make them feel like that next guy is there in next year's draft. And they're comfortable with playing Eli Manning because he, listen, statistically, he's playing one of the best years of his career. I mean, he's got the highest completion percentage. And the fact that he's been sacked as many times as he's had, I think he leads the league in being sacked at this point. It's over 40. Yeah, it's over 40. Well, Dak Dak Prescott's actually up there, too. I, I didn't necessarily look at what the totals are, but Dallas, after they played Thursday night, Believe it or not, uh, Dak is up there. He's over 40. So but Lance, Eli he's so mobile. Close. How does he get sacked? Uh, don't get me started with that narrative. I think I've said enough about <laughs> yeah. that. But but r- real quickly, Atticus, the only place that I'm going to disagree with you in terms of the draft philosophy that I think we got to be careful, remember, the draft is not just for 2019. The draft is to get players that you can build around for four to five years. I mean, they looked at Saquon Barkley not as a guy that they're just going to rent for 2018 and he's going to help the running game. They expect Saquon Barkley to be a franchise-changing type of player. So where I disagree with you is just because they're confident in Eli— doesn't mean that it should prevent them from Correct. looking for his successor. And secondly, and, and you're entitled to your opinion, Atticus, so I'm not taking that away from you, but I don't think there's anything that we've seen just because Eli's been on the field that says that the front office is not excited about any quarterbacks in this year's draft class. I, I don't know. That, that's just me. I've gotten no inkling whatsoever, John, and maybe you disagree nope, with me that just because they've put Eli out there and they're now putting together some productive games, that that means that they're absolutely down on every quarterback coming out of the draft this year. Or guys on their roster. Yeah, I've seen nothing yeah. to indicate that. So I agree. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, Appreciate, you got it. Appreciate it. Thank call. you, Atticus. Yep. Appreciate the call as always. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Scott, New Mexico. He's up next. Scotty Do. Hi, guys. What's up, Scott? How are we doing, Scott? Uh, question for you. Uh, because so many Giants contributed to this victory uh, in so many different ways, do you consider this the signature win for the season thus far? And if so, uh, can the Giants use what they learned in this game as they approach the Washington game next week? Uh, or is it, as Lance, you like to say, it's a week-to-week league and we can't take uh, what happened in the uh, Chicago game and apply it to the game in Washington? Scott, here's the thing, though. I think it's the same lessons we've already learned. They simply right. applied what me and Lance have talked about all year here and their other wins. When they ran the ball well, they took the ball away from the other team and they protected the football. And they didn't get into a situation where Eli had to throw the ball 50 times. Those right. are the games the Giants have won this year. That's the trend. As far as what you're indicating, Scott, I don't think it's so much the lesson because I think John summarized it beautifully. I think you're indicating is this a sign of that momentum is going to start to build. Now, we could have had this conversation, Scott, after the Bucks game. Sure. You could have asked me the same exact question. I would say, yeah, I think there's some encouraging signs. The Giants are finding ways to finish games, close out games. There's still defensive issues even after that Bucks game. And the so offense then, is still inconsistent half to half. And then we looked at the Philadelphia game and the offense jumped out to a strong start and then they didn't find a way to close out that game. So 
I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. You took right. the words right out of my mouth. I've always said it's a week-to-week league. I mean, who would have thought Dallas would have completely shut down Drew Brees and company like that? I mean, things. True. look at the, the Jaguars shut out the Colts yesterday when the Colts thought, you know, they turned things around. They were an offensive juggernaut, and Jacksonville had no answers on defense the last seven games. So I, I'm not, I just, I don't buy in the fact that just because how you finish one game means you're automatically going to carry that over into the next Arizona game. won in Green Bay. There's another example. That's true. Yeah. Right. Just, it's such a uh, wacky league, such a wacky league. League, Scott. Yep. Oh, one question I wanted to ask. I don't know if you have the statistics there of how many times the Giants blitzed yesterday. I do not. But I think I talked to you on Friday, John, about I thought they needed to get pressure on Chase Daniels, and they seemed to do it through the blitz. And I was wondering, uh, is that a pattern that they can continue with? Because I think when they went more uh, standard defense, they seem to get burned a little bit more. So I was wondering if that if that's actually backed up by what happened in the game. Scott, I have not watched the game on tape from defense yet. I watched the offense this morning. Then we have media availabilities. I have not watched the defense yet. So right. I cannot honestly give you a good answer to that question, but I can tell you tomorrow after I look at the tape. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. You got it, Scott. No well, problem. I, I will tell you this. On that last play, when Janoris Jenkins broke it up, they brought the house on that play. They were in zero coverage. Oh, yeah. They brought the Wolves, and they said attack. And, you know, Daniel got rid of the ball as a result of that, and Jenkins was in prime position. I don't remember on much of, just off the top of my head, John, most of the plays that Tariq Cohen got up the sideline, I don't remember Chase Daniel seeing a lot of pressure in his face I on that. don't remember. I'd have to look okay, at no, it. Okay, I'm just, like I said, yeah, I'm just going off the top remember. of my head. I just think it was a matter of Cohen is very fast. He got a favorable matchup, and... I am not surprised, by the way, that the Bears continued in the second half. Their philosophy was we're going to match up Tariq Cohen on a safety in Landon Collins. We're going to match him up on a linebacker. We're going to match him up on a corner. Hell, we don't care who you put on Tariq Cohen. You run down the field, Tariq, we're going to get you the ball because they were running very similar plays. And to Tariq Cohen's credit, Chase Daniel put the ball in the perfect position. He made the play, and the rest is history, as we saw in that comeback. He was their top weapon, period, whether it be the running back or the receiver. Who else do you pick out of the Bears' personnel? And they didn't have necessarily the who's who of receivers to begin with, John. But, I mean, who else was a disruptive force on offense? No one. Jordan Howard had a few big runs. Allen Robinson had that great 30-yard catch, which I don't know still how he hauled that in right off of B.W. Webb's helmet. Taylor Gabriel had the fumble. That's what jumps out to me about him. Anthony Miller was silent. Trey Burden? What did Trey Burden do? He had no catches. Okay, Mm -hmm. so it was Tariq Cohen. That's why the Bears basically said, New York, until you find a way to slow down Tariq Cohen, we are going to continue to feed him the football, period. 201. That was their offensive game plan. 4-5-1-3. I got a bad feeling about this. Hallelujah. It's been so long since we've had to painfully listen through this. Enough jokes. I am happy. This is precious 20 seconds of airtime right here that we're wasting. (laughs) Just want the public to know that. Uh, Hi, Charlie. Hey, guys. How are we doing, Charlie? Hey, Lance. Yes. You said uh, off the top of your head, but that's not too uh, high, is it? <laughs> what, in, in terms of blitz opportunities? Yeah, no, his point is that you're short because off the top oh, of your head. Wow. Oh, boy, oh, oh, boy, I tell you. That, <laughs> that, that went right over my head, that line. So, That's right. Which is not hard, right. hard, which is not hard right. to do, by yeah, the way. And now that we continue the puns rolling off our tongues, <laughs> what, what else would you like to add to the discussion? All today? right. I, I just want to take this, uh, flip this a little bit. Okay. What would have happened <clears throat> if we had lost this game? Oh, it, it would be hell on earth today. On BB, it would be how big we'll kick off live. You would be, be calling for Will Beatty to return to the team. That's what would be happening. And, 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 and I would have a team of people. I mean, if you look at it, it's like Riley had a surefire interception. Oh, you're right. You know what? I, I, I totally forgot to bring yeah. that. I, I might have mentioned it no, briefly. You did, you did mention uh, that. that. That was a really, 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 really yeah. bad drop. And then on that onside <laughs> kick, everybody's looking at Odell. But it was Riley, he it blocked, went right yes. by him, he and missed. he was looking the other way. Well, I think he was supposed to, usually the guys in the front line, Charlie, are supposed to block. Yep. So while he didn't go after the ball, I think his bigger error was that he didn't block the guy he was supposed to block, which is why he crashed out on the football before Odell managed to get down there. And then we had 12 penalties for over 100 yards. I'm glad you brought that uh, up, yeah. That's a good point. defense let them have touchdowns because they kept, you know, giving them 15-yard penalties. And, and Simerson, you said, had a good game, but he really didn't. He, he, had, two he, had, he had a few penalties. He had, two hold, he had, he had like two. three holding penalties. Two. One was on two. special teams, and mm-hmm. then he had two others. Yep. Two on defense, one on specials. You're right. 
You're right. Yeah, offense, it, was yeah. ju- it was just yeah, like, yeah. I mean, this is what we'd be talking about. How do you let a team come back in a minute and 49 well, seconds to score 10 points and tie tie the game? Well, Charlie said right. You, no, I, I agree with you, but that's why when John and I were recapping the game, you can't dismiss the fact that takeaways, I've said this, have been covering up some of the issues. So I, I'm well, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. They won the game, but and, and Shermer's the first person that says he hates victory Mondays, right? He's been quoted as saying that. Why? Because he wants to come into the film room after a victory and be very hard on the film and say, guys, we got plenty more to clean up. And the penalties and the defensive breakdowns are two things that reared their ugly head again despite the fact the team won. They had a season-high 12 penalties, Charlie. They've had double-digit penalties in three of their last five games because they had two games with 11. So, yes, that is an ongoing trend. There's no doubt about that. And and then you have a quarterback who can't – catch the snap about three or four times and you know what I mean so that helped us a lot but I mean I'm so glad we won and then you had you know um, you know it doesn't Shepard. sound like it it's refreshing for you to make that claim but anyway go and, ahead that you're actually and, and happy you a Shepard missing a touchdown pass that he you know he said he lost oh you know what that's actually, see it. no you know what Charlie it's funny on that play it looked like when he came at when he kind of passed the defensive back it looked to me like he slowed down a little bit and I was wondering why he would do that um, and I think the reason he slowed down is because when he broke open and he looked up, he probably didn't pick the ball up right away, which is yeah. why he kind of took those two or three steps where he kind of glided instead of running hard. The ball still hit him in the hands. Catch the damn yeah. ball. And by the yeah. way, I also want to say this too. Give Sterling Shepard credit. He played with bad ribs that whole game. Yeah, and yeah. you could tell every time he yeah. went down, he was grabbing and clutching. He played through some pain. So you got to, while you give him all you want for dropping that pass in the end zone, it's fair game. Give him credit for playing through the pain with the bad ribs. Oh yeah, and yeah. I mean, he he gutted it out, and there were some other guys who gutted it out. I mean, it was a great win, but I'm just saying, man, if we had lost that game, it would have been yeah, like, oh my god, it would have never. That would have been like uh, the Philadelphia Deshaun Jackson um, punt, you know, in a return. That would have been one of those ga- type of games. But no question. hey, we won. We played against a great team, a great defense, which I didn't think they were that great anyway. You guys kept saying, oh. Bears are the great, greatest defense, and I just thought we 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 would uh, work well against them for some reason, and uh, actually we did, and uh, we had more sacks than they had. Oh man, I should have bet you guys on that one. <laughs> yeah, you would have won. Yeah, you would have received lobsters in return. Yeah, so yes, had you done that. But anyway, it was a great game. I mean, my you know my heart was pounding. I'm going, oh, I, I don't know. I just thought we were going to win in overtime for some reason. Especially when we got the coin toss, I said, Nah, Eli's playing well. We're moving the ball. <clears throat> you know, uh, I think we're going to win it. Well, here's but, the thing, uh, Charlie. Eli Eli didn't play like really well. He just I think in the if, first of all in the first half he played poorly okay yeah, uh, well. I don't think a lot of guys are open but he didn't play well in the first half and I hope be the first one to admit that just like he didn't play well in the second half of the Eagles game but in the second half he played better against a really good defense and he didn't make those big mistakes and if Shepard would have caught that deep touchdown pass his numbers would look a whole lot better add a touchdown and 40 yards to his totals and another completion his numbers yeah. look a lot more respectable yeah, and that touchdown pass to Beckham. I mean, that. I mean, he. You know, he must have saw him in the last minute, or he knew he was coming across. But he held on to the ball just as long as he could and just flung it. And, and by before the way, he got you know sacked, tackled. Charlie, and it's that ama- was a great throw. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when a guy gets a little extra time because if everybody recalls. Eli got destroyed for a play almost identical to that. I think it was against the Texans earlier in the year where the guy was bearing down on him and he just kind of floated the ball into the end zone and he overthrew Odell by about a foot or so. But he had about a second or so less to make a decision on where to throw the pass when it was incomplete. When he had a couple more seconds, the play actually worked. It's funny how that works. Yeah, and and the O-line I think played really well. Uh, up against a you know a hard uh, front four in front seven. So I mean I think you know and even Wheeler. I mean Wheeler gave up a sack, but I mean he you didn't he didn't you know he you he didn't hear his name a lot. Um, he didn't have a penalty. I don't think. I I don't know. I, he might have, but I don't recall that he even had a penalty, a holding, or a false start or whatever. No, Solder, I don't believe had a penalty. Yeah. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're getting better. You know, the O-line is getting better. That's why, you know, uh, Eli's getting a little bit better. But the thing that was amazing is how they couldn't even run the ball in the first half, and then all of a sudden they're running the ball in the second half. 
you know? Well, Charlie, and, that's why you have to stay committed to it. And again, the first half wasn't a disaster. It's not like they were getting negative one, zero, and negative two. They were getting, right. you know, three or so yards per carry, which is fine, but you stay with it. You keep pounding the football. They were in a lot more heavy personnel in the second half, much more 21 with the right. fullback and one tight fullback. end, one more 12 yep. with two tight ends. And when they do that, they run the ball better than when they do in shotgun. They just do. Yeah, and that's and, and that was the other thing. If we had lost that game, we, we would have been talking about Shermer's decision on third and eight to pass the ball instead of having Eli on the center and doing a play action or running Barkley so we could have gotten that field goal, at least trying for that field goal. Yeah, yeah, Charlie, I, and you know what, somebody, and, and our buddy Ben Ben Biganos, who's one of our you know callers and he's on Twitter, he pointed out after the game and you know, I don't mind trying to get the first down there, but you have to make sure, and Shermer said this after the game too, so I'm not breaking any news, that you can't take a sack there. You know, right. you can't get back yourself up out of field goal range. I don't mind going for the first down, but you you got to make sure you get that yeah, field you can't goal. give up field position. I mean, that's yeah. a, a no-no right there. Because the last thing you want to do is make it harder on your kicker or the coach to make that decision. Yeah, if they had gone on the center instead of shotgun, the defense would have had to respect Barkley, the runner, and that might have given them a little bit more time to throw that pass. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, that that's neither here nor there. We won the game. Thank God. Hey, we're going to win the last, what, four games we got left? Four games left, yeah. We're going to be 8-8, eight and eight, and if everything goes right, we can win the division still. So... We'll, well see what happens. The, the reason it's still going to be very difficult, and I understand mathematically they're alive and appreciate yeah. the phone call, Charlie, is because okay, you have, guys, you have to understand care. the divisional foes are going to be playing each other. So, you know, everybody's saying that, well, if the Giants win out, but how do you envision a spot where everybody loses out outside of the Giants? Because the Eagles and the Redskins are playing each other twice, and the Cowboys are going to play the Eagles again. So the divisional foes are going to play each other. So Dallas, for example, which at this point... Even if they lose out, they would get to nine games, so then the Giants technically could move past them. But in some of these other mathematical situations, it's not that easy. My point being is because you still have other divisional games that you have to watch out for. It's not like the Washington, Philadelphia, and Dallas teams all play completely different teams. They have some overlap. So that's going to create some challenges, at least from the mathematical standpoint. The one outlier in there is Indianapolis, who's a much better offensive team than a defensive team. But the other three teams are all pretty darn good defensively. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. The challenges don't go away. Uh, Len in Columbia will be our cleanup hitter today and wrap up the show. Hi, Len. Hey, guys. All right, well, that was fun, and uh, it's always fun when you win, but it was fun and an entertaining game. And, uh, hey, quick story. I left my seat with 149 left, and you know that's an important time because that's when the Bears took over on their own 25. By the time I got down the escalator, to the plaza, the Bears were driving for a touchdown, and uh, so I stopped along with about a thousand other people to look at the tell screen. A lot of people outside watching the, watching the tell screen. Now, the bad thing about doing that is you have no idea how much time is left because uh, they don't flash the time on there. They oh, give really? you down a distance. Oh, there's no like graphic on there. So wow. you absolutely go crazy. But that, that's the way I finished it up. I watched probably the last minute on that tell screen, and then, of course, the overtime on that tell screen, and was uh, very happy to get to the car and start my ride home. Hey, Lance, you will, um, I think, appreciate this in terms of the most overused word in the New York metropolitan area today. Opportunity. Culture. <laughs> culture. We're going to change the culture. Actually, Gettleman and Shermer had two big challenges coming into the season, I think. One was to change the culture. And, and secondly, was to manage the transition at the quarterback position, and they're they're in the process of doing that, and I think they're doing a good, probably doing a good job with both of them. Yeah, Len. Here's the thing: they can try to change the culture, but the only people that can implement a culture are the players. So the players have to buy in, and they have yep. to have the right players in here that are willing yep. to buy into the culture they yep. want to set. So that's really yep. what it's all about. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that word. Uh, but maybe later in the week, or if we have a little time at the end of this, maybe I can get back to it. I want to make sure later we're all week. talking about the same thing with regard to that word yeah. and what it what it really means. But um, hey, a nice win. And if if uh, you, you know, Shermer talked about it a little bit. Part of the part of the change is you know showing the resiliency. And if there's a guy who show, who's been showing resiliency for 14 years, game in and game out, the guy who just 
stops thinking about the last play and starts thinking about the next play almost immediately, and that's Eli, first half to second half. Eli will probably tell you he, he can probably remember every play of the first half, but it didn't impact him in any way. He just came back in that second half and made some big, big throws. I mean, it was a terrific second half for Eli, and I think that's 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 part of what we're that's part of what we're looking for. We're, you know, we're looking for people. I know Shermer used the word, you know, used he used the word resiliency, but and that's that's um, indeed part of it. But Eli was a big part of that, and some other players contributed, obviously too. Now, Lance, here's here's what I think you're gonna you're gonna appreciate. If we really want to see a change in culture. Or not really, not that this is the definitive thing, but the next step, we got to win this division game. We got to start changing our outlook on these division games. I think we took a, the most important thing to me yesterday that win over the Bears. We've now won two in a row at home. Yeah, about yeah. that. That's right. Beat the Bucks. <laughs> two beat the in Bears. a row at home. Yeah. That's a big change. And I think that's part of the. That's part of the culture that Sherman's looking for. When people come into that stadium, when other teams come into that stadium, with those loudmouth fans of theirs, I don't care what team it is, they're going to leave that stadium knowing they've been in a fight. Yeah, and Len, I think they've the, been in a battle. Yeah, and I think the key here too, Len, and, I, and Lance, I'll I'll be real quick for you. Yeah. Um, I think what you hope they take out of this game, and I think a big part of culture is closing out games, and uh, I, I, it, yes. I hope they take what happened in the fourth quarter to carry it on and don't get mental about what happened at the end of the fourth quarter. The overtime was good. The fourth quarter was bad and reminiscent, reminiscent of what happened against the Eagles last week. So yeah. you have to make sure you take the right lesson out of this game. Oh, finishing. I mean, yeah. that has been an issue. But yeah, yeah, before, yeah. I think before that's we... part of it. And just, just kind of uh, an, overall, uh, an overall definition or idea, what we're talking about with culture is the way we do things here, guys. This is the way we do it. We close out the games. We stay tough. We win at home. We fight in the division. On the field, off the field, there's just a whole definition of who we are and the way we practice, the way we do training camp. Everything is part of that. Everything is part of that culture. Well, but idea. Len, Len, and see, everything that's, is about Len, making it more positive. Len, 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 I just want to jump in. That to me, though, I, I, I'm not trying to take away from your point. I don't think that's unique to the Giants. I would make an argument that every team that wants to show consistency in the National yeah. Football League has to do all the things you're talking about. Now, I, I wanted to piggyback off of a point you said. Well, they've got to beat the Redskins to start changing the culture. The Giants have gone into Philadelphia for the last five years. Yeah. Okay, and they've lost. Yep. Now, the reason why I don't put much stock into your point is the roster has changed tremendously this year, Len. Do you think that Russell yep. Shepard, okay, who's on the Giants for the first time, went into Philadelphia last week and said to himself, oh, you know what? The Giants lost the last four years. Boy, this is going to be a real tough one. You see, that, that's why I, I don't, I'm not buying into the narrative that okay. what you do in 2018 against your divisional foes is yeah. indicative of what next year's roster is going to be thinking mentally when they go up against the same opponents in 2019. I, I just well, don't see that being synonymous. Okay, can I respond sure, to that? Sure, absolutely, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I, th I think it's a big step forward. And understand, it's, it's not just the Redskins. It's the fact that it's a division foe and it's a road game and all those things that that are that are in there. And uh, well, you know my feeling, Lance. We got we got to. I mean, we got to go four and two in the division. We've I mean, said we got to get to a point again. where we where we un look at our record in the division. I think it's a positive. We go. It's a, it's a an extra positive if we go into Washington on Sunday. And again, could be Philadelphia, could be Dallas. Happens to be Washington this week and win a road game in the division. That's there's a there's a an amount of toughness that I think, and it's true of any division. And I agree with you. This is true of any organization. The important thing is for the organization, not just us, any organization, to to establish the way they want to do things. That's, That's true. And that, as John, and as John said, very important. Thank you, John. Uh, everybody buys into it. Everybody buys into it. Thank you, Len. And uh, I think we're moving that. I think Sherman and Gettleman, are, uh, you know, are doing that. And I think they're establishing that kind of things. This is, you know, as compared to last year, you heard me say it last year. This group of guys, this is a likable group of people. From the from the from Gettleman to the coaching staff 
to these players. These are, I mean, last year I couldn't find anybody to like outside of Eli. I mean, I really couldn't. I, I mean, Beckham wasn't on the field enough to, for me to be, you know, be, you know, be talking about him. But this is genuinely a group of guys I can get behind. All right, Len. All right, Len. Appreciate the phone okay. call, buddy. Thank, thank you. And I do think the one thing we have to look out for, and we learned this lesson the hard way going from 2016 to 2017, every year is different, and you start over. Bingo. Now, I do think there is something from an organizational standpoint to get things running the way you want and – you know, maybe even beyond just the players, but just have like, you know, the mood and the way things operate in the building. So the tone, the players that do carry over can carry that message on to the new players that show up. Now, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always happen. But you like to have that base to start from. And that's what I think you hope you do this year. You find out who you can keep, who's going to be here from the 2018 roster in 2019, and they can carry over that culture and that message and the foundation of how you want to play to the group next year. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for the last four or five games. And you build the chemistry within the locker room. Guys like each other. They play hard for one another. There's chemistry between the positional groups and their respective coaches. And, you know, also to what you were pointing out from a front office perspective, philosophy too, in terms Mm -hmm. of how you want to build the team, John. And coaches on how you want to play in games. 100%. This is our strategy. This is our identity. We want to be a run-first team. We want to set the tone with our offensive line. You know, those things, I think, can carry over because those are more, John, philosophical things. But what, what, what I think a lot of what Len was talking about, and once again, I'm not saying he's completely off base, but execution can fluctuate so much, John, year to year, game to game. That's why, to me, results from one year are just they're, they're not going to necessarily indicate what is the going to be the result the following season. I That's do, all I'm getting at. I do think when you do carry over a lot of the same players from a really bad year, um, you do get the, oh, no, what next? Here we go again. I think that, that does sneak in, and I think weeding that out is important, but I think that gets weeded out as much with changing the players yeah. as it does with changing the players that are already here's mindset. You know what I mean? And, and they I think have done a lot of that already. Only 16 guys left from last year's roster. So can't change much more than that, folks. Lance, good times. Absolutely. All right. Be back with more Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow. Don't forget, it's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmunk. Thanks for joining us. We're back tomorrow at 1.30 on Giants.com. We'll see you then.